Hi, this is Elliot Yee. I am the host of the Paradigm Left podcast. Welcome to episode 41. And we are going to be discussing emotional pain and the fear of getting hurt. This is going to be a fun and interesting episode. This is actually about all of our avoid processes that we have. Um, They're all linked together and they all basically stem and operate from the same place. And it's uh, necessary to give some extensive background um, on our emotional processes and other processes that we have. So we're going to get to it. Before I start, I want to announce that the new book is out, The Bitter and the Sweet, Benefits of a Balanced Perspective in Life and How to Achieve It. It's available in ebook, paperback, and hardcover. And you could find it on Amazon. So uh, if this kind of material is the kind of stuff that you enjoy on the podcast, please support the book and uh, take a look at it. So let's get to it. The first cell that existed on this planet goes back 3.8 billion years. So in, in, in a very unique and roundabout way, each and every one of us originated from that cell. <clears throat> That cell reacted to its environment with approach and avoid behaviors basically based on either uh, chemical reactions or thermal reactions to its environment. Uh, The cell would either approach or avoid something based on the acidic level or the pH level of something, its chemical properties, or it would avoid or approach something based on uh, ultraviolet exposure, uh, temperature gradients, um, barometric pressure based on the water presence and stuff. It's it's thermal um, conditions. And then um, you fast forward from 3.8 billion years ago to 500 million years ago, which is a stretch of 3.3 billion years where cells... And organisms develop and basically operate off of approach and avoid uh, processes that they've developed over those billions of years, which we all still have and operate with. And I'm going to get into those as we uh, proceed into this episode. So going back 500 500 million years ago, we basically start to evolve what are the, the rudimentary forms of our nervous system our brain and and, and internal nervous system. And it's important to know and understand this and why. Because we need to understand why the brain and nervous system developed. And their purpose has not changed in 500 million years. Animals have been eating other animals seemingly forever. Um, Prior to 500 million years ago, what would happen is an animal could be laying on the ocean floor and sleeping, resting, meditating, whatever. Its mouth could be open. And possibly another animal uh, could find its way into that animal's mouth, not knowing that it was another animal. Or not knowing it was dangerous to be in another animal's mouth. Maybe he thought it was a cave or whatever. 
And then next thing you know, the animal that had its mouth open would close its mouth and find, oh wow, I've got something tasty in my mouth and would start to proceed to eat the other animal. Things like that would happen. Now, the research isn't clear. There are theories abound as to why. But this process 500 million years ago evolved into intentionally going after another animal with the sole purpose of eating it. This is the evolution of hunting in the animal kingdom. Animals developed basically into one of two patterns 500 500 million years ago all the way through today. They either became predators or they became prey. And this is very important to understand because where you sit on the spectrum in terms of your 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 status in the hierarchy determines what's going to be more present in your makeup and what's you know going to be that thing that defines you more so lions polar bears tigers um, saber-toothed tigers back in the days, Tyrannosaurus rexes back in the days. These were all apex predators. They didn't fear any other animal. They, they, they didn't, like, their, their mechanisms and their processes that developed did not develop avoidance protocols for the most part. They had them, but they, you know, these were basically organisms that operated completely off of approach mechanisms. Because they were the ones that did all the eating of the other animals. Some animals, all they did was develop avoidance mechanisms because they were either small, weak. um, You know, they were going to be eaten and hunted. They were the prey. So, If you look at the timeline from 500 million years to basically 2 million years ago, 498 million years in in, in that time frame, 2 million years ago we have our ancestors, right? Um, They have these same processes. Now if you look at us humans, right, We're, we're, we're pretty pathetic and we're pretty dismal in the world of what we're capable of physically. Um, you know, we, we don't compare to animals that are predators in terms of what they can do physically. But what we have is this incredible brain. So what happened was about 70,000 years ago, and let me back up. The reason why I throw that in there is because Because we're not physically dominant, we're not apex in that regard, we developed a lot of avoidance processes. Mammals in general initially developed a lot of avoidance processes after the KT event that wiped out 
like 90% of the, um, the animals on the planet. So the world was dark for two years. The animals that were able to adapt and survive did so because they operated defensively. They utilized more approach. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. They utilized more avoidance than approach behaviors. So our ancestors were very defensive and avoidance oriented. Our brains evolved that way. And our brain's primary function, even to this day, is just to survive. Have the organism survive long enough to procreate. And this is done using a host of defensive-oriented mechanisms, a host of avoidance mechanisms. Everything in our physiological and neurological makeup supports that. Um, The neurons and electrical pathways that work with the limbic system to generate motor function, all of our survival mechanisms, that hardware is far more robust and pliable than the neurological mechanisms that promote our thrive state. Now, I'm going to get more into that as we uh, continue. So language, which is uniquely human, no other animal has language. All animals communicate, but no animals have language. Language evolved in us 60 or 70,000 years ago. No one's, no one's exactly sure why. But so we have this thing that's magnificent that we refer to as language. And as in everything else in life, there's the bitter and the sweet. So when, when our nervous systems started evolving for language... Language uses an incredible amount of cortical wiring in the brain. Excuse me. So what that means is a lot of our processes that were in place somewhat suffered because this new thing that evolved that was going to take us to the next level, language, needed a lot of that neurological wiring to develop and to to prosper in our, in our, in our um, neurological selves. So our avoidance and our approach mechanisms kind of got like, they developed an ability to have their signals crossed, if you know what I mean. So when language came about, we developed this very unique ability to think, to develop consciousness, to be mindful, to be creative, to dream, to set goals. But we also developed this this process and this mechanism to approach situations that were better suited to avoid. And we've also developed the inverse mechanism and process to avoid situations where we're better served to approach. It's a uniquely human thing. No other animal experiences this because they they don't have the the capacity for it. Animals either approach or avoid based on the energy field. Boom. That's it. A lion does not think about not chasing a gazelle. And a gazelle never doesn't think about running away from a lion. When these two animals come across one another, they immediately go into approach or avoid And 
The systems are in full biological imperative. The intentions are different, but they're doing the exact same thing for the exact same reason. Now, in mammals, primates, and obviously humans, our approach and avoid mechanisms have this thing called emotion that we evolved and attached to it. And from emotion comes feeling. And basically what emotion is, is just like a a sensory feeling in the body, right? It's imbalanced because it's leaning you to either approach or avoid, impulse or instinct. When the body gets excited, heart rate goes up, pupils dilate, adrenaline is secreted, all the neurotransmitters and hormones that support physical action flare up. We have this thing, this state we're in, and everybody's familiar with it, where we're feeling like we need to move. Emotion, the root word of emotion, Latin M-O-T, essentially means to move. What we have is the application of a label to those sensory sensations that we feel in the body and we take those labels and we apply them to that state based on context that's that we've been conditioned to that we've learned through experience that our culture tell our, cult, our culture tells us to apply and these are feelings emotion is the energy that we create feeling gives us that the direction there's a great youtube video uh, if you want to look it up, uh, NBA superstar Jimmy Butler goes for a ride in a McLaren with uh, F- F1 driver Lando Norris. Lando Norris is a Formula 1 driver for McLaren. And I think they're in a 720S or they might be in a, um, a 560, but they're on a closed track. Lando Norris is an excellent driver, professional driver. Jimmy Butler gets in the car and you would think somebody threw him out of a plane without a parachute. His response is overwhelmingly consumed with fear. Now, if you look at Lando Norris, he looks like he's playing wiffle ball by comparison. They're subjected to the, to the exact same stimulus. If anything, Lando's a little further along because he's creating it. But their reactions are completely different. And this is a result of conditioning. So our emotional concepts are things that were conditioned into us and then we perpetuate. And the labels and words that we apply to these emotional sensations are also conditioned into us based on uh, context and experience, and those are the feelings. And that explains partly why two people can be subjected to the exact same thing and have completely different uh, reactions to them and responses to them. Because what happened is, is, in the prefrontal cortex, the, the wiring that goes into the limbic system, and in the limbic system, the wiring that goes upward towards the prefrontal cortex, they both meet in this part of the brain called the thalamus. And in the thalamus, things are kind of like really, that's where the, the, the wiring for language became co-opted. Things are kind of a mess in there, for lack of a better term. And what happens is, is that 
the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive center of the brain that doesn't get fully developed in humans until our mid to late 20s, on average, if it ever does. That's the, the, the executive center that controls logic, reasoning, calm, relaxed, thinking, and decisions. And the limbic system is basically, that's what fires up our avoid or approach mechanisms. So if you really think about it, there's never any reason for our limbic system to be fired up unless we are in fear and we are invoking our instincts and our avoidance mechanism or we are hunting and we are in impulse. Something that's been co-opted into the impulse mechanism, the prey drive, is our, our sex drive, our lust, our attraction, our falling in love cocktail um, when we get those neurotransmitters and hormones going. Everybody's familiar with this. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that becomes very impulsive in us, right? Few things are going to be more powerfully impulsive than when we fall in love. Um, because we're, we're, we're in complete prey drive. We're impulsive. We want this person. We want this, this relationship. We want, to, we want this fantasy, this dream that, that we're creating in our head. So what happens is, is because we're so imbalanced in that state when we're in it, when something knocks us from that, it's disorienting. It's, it's as disorienting as the initial imbalance that puts us in that state. This is where emotional pain comes in, right? Because we have an expectation, we have a, a, a feeling that we've applied, and we have an emotional state in a place that is completely removed from us and we connect to one another through our feelings whether they're defensive survival feelings or whether they're transcendent feelings transcendent feelings are feelings that we have that are that we can create in the absence of emotion these are feelings like gratitude unconditional love optimism abundance joy enthusiasm Th- these are these are feelings that exist Without impulse or instinct present. These are the transcendent feelings. I'm going to do a complete episode on transcendent feelings. But because we're a social species and because we're so physically pathetic, we survived evolution and natural selection because of our ability to connect and be social, right? Humans are the most social of all social animals. No matter what anybody thinks, feels, reads, says, or experiences in life, people need other people, right? One of our four fundamental emotional needs is connection. Our four fundamental emotional needs are security, self-esteem, autonomy, and connection. It doesn't matter where you are on this planet. Those are your four empirical emotional needs, We need those things as much as we need food, air, and water. 
what happens is, is if we don't get enough food, air, and water, the physical body just ceases to exist, right? Homeostasis cannot be maintained. But because we have all of this crazy neurological wiring in our brain that started to get crazy 70,000 years ago, when we don't have security, self-esteem, autonomy, connection, our brains can co-opt many different processes and behaviors to try and trick us into thinking we are satisfying those emotional needs of security, self-esteem, autonomy, and connection. So some people have this thing where they are all about money. Nothing else matters but money. And there's nothing wrong with wanting money and going after money if you're creating a service, in the, you know, a service that's going to serve other people. But you guys know what I'm talking about. The person who just wants money for the sake of money. Money is usually a proxy for security on some level because in the modern world, we need money. Money represents security, right? Money's meaningless to the people in the Amazon or the people in, uh, in New Guinea or any place on the planet where there are indigenous people. You know, you could drop bags from an armored truck into those places and they could care less about what that is. Autonomy, our, our, our need for control, our sense of control, we all live under the illusion of control. That's connected to so many different things, so many processes our brain has. Um, and that could be manifested in so many different ways. In relationships, we can be controlling of people. We can be controlling of our own lives with OCD. I mean, there, there are almost infinite amount of processes and behaviors that can be developed because our, neuro, our neurological wiring is so convoluted. And this applies to all of our emotional needs. But because we're the most social species ever, we've evolved mechanisms so that that neurological wiring creates physical pain when we feel like we're being disconnected from people. That's why emotional pain is the way it is. Emotional pain registers in the exact same part of the brain that physical pain registers. So, I've actually dislocated both my shoulders. I've separated my right hip. I've broken three bones in my right hand. I've broken my nose. I've broken multiple toes. I can recall those moments very vividly, and I could recall the pain that I felt when those things happened that caused those injuries for me. But no matter how hard I try, I cannot relive that physical pain. I can't experience that physical pain because that pain is caused by the brain, but it's as a result of tissue damage. We can't recreate tissue damage in our brain. It has to actually happen. However, when it comes to emotional pain, emotional pain is created by our thought processes and by the brain. And what happens is, is when we experience a traumatic event, when we experience an event so extreme 
it creates a somatic marker. A somatic marker is that is when we experience an event that is connected so strongly to emotion that the brain just floods our system with neurotransmitters to make sure that we never forget that experience again. That's a somatic marker. Those events, we can relive on a moment's notice as if they just happened. So if you've ever lost a loved one that was very close to you, if you give yourself enough time, you can start to relive all of that pain and become very emotional and imbalanced behind that. Everyone's had their heart broken. Most of us can recall all the details and moments, smells even, associated to having our heart broken. There are multiple triggers that can cause this. And it's all normal. It's, it's all very normal. There's nothing wrong with it. We do want to work on developing emotional mastery so that we don't do things that become maladaptive to remove ourselves from those states so we don't feel them. We need to feel them when, when they surface. But that's essentially how emotional pain operates. I mean, emotional pain is so prevalent and as I mentioned, it's, it's created in the same part where physical pain, physical pain is created. If you're going through emotional pain and you take a Tylenol, you're going to feel better. The same way Tylenol helps like a bruise or a broken bone or tissue damage, Tylenol helps emotional pain because the, that key ingredient in there does something that just kind of like also cuts off something... Uh, the acetaminophen or whatever it is, cuts off how we connect to emotion. Excuse me. But how we think, the mindset we have, the strength of our mind, plays into our experience of emotional pain. Because once the stimulating event is gone, it only lives on through our recollection, how we think. Think about it for a second. So, I, I two, almost, almost two years ago, I lost my mom. She had been suffering uh, with Alzheimer's for almost five years leading up to her transition. And I was a complete wreck. Complete, I mean complete wreck. Um... When it happened, even though I tried to prepare myself, I, you know, you can't prepare yourself for something like that. My mom and I were very close. She was my best friend. We had the best relationship. And, you know, I will always carry a certain level of trauma and sadness connected to that. But at this point where I am now, I've worked to create perspective, to balance my perspective, to try and manage my thoughts and not focus on my state and those memories when she transitioned. Because I have a whole collection of memories, experience, and other things that are of such higher quality and that are so loving and um, enjoyable I can focus on that with my thoughts and that changes my state and that lets me be balanced. 
that puts me into transcendence. And that is a choice that we all have. When we can't manage our thoughts effectively and we constantly go to that pain and to those survival events, there's a name for that. It's called suffering. As time goes on and we have chronological space between the stimulating event and where we are now, we're better equipped to deal with the emotional pain. It'll never go away. It's always there. It's always living in the deepest recesses of our synapses and our limbic system because that's just how the brain works. But we have a choice as to what we're going to access in our memories. And that only happens when we get in touch with the pain. So right after my my mom transitioned, uh, I'm not exaggerating. I might have cried every day for like four and a half months. And I mean like cried like... You know, I didn't just shed tears. I mean, like, deep sobbing, full body convulsing, muscle contracting, crying. Like, every day for like four and a half months. And I did get concerned at one point because it seems like everything was a triggering event for me. But I knew it's what I had to do to eventually get to a place where I could be balanced at some point. I just had no idea where that was, but I was committed to the process and it was important to me. You know, it would have been important to my mom. She would not have wanted me to go on living my life suffering. So here I am now, November, 2021, April will make two years that my mom's gone. I'm in a good place. You know, I still get triggered from time to time. It's not a big deal to me. I'll probably get triggered for the rest of my life. But I'm, I'm in a place where I'm, I'm managing it and I'm okay. Now, the thing about emotional pain and getting hurt. So, the first half of this podcast was all about our neurological wiring and how language screwed that up in us. Now, a big part of why we're all flawed the way we're flawed, and I hope this doesn't come as too much of a surprise to everybody, but every single person is flawed. All of us share the same flaws. We're just modulated differently. We're one species, Homo sapiens. We're one species of humans of the nine that we know existed. So we all have the same processes. We have the same capabilities. We can develop the same abilities. We all have the same physical needs. We have the same emotional needs. We essentially all have the same brain. It's just wired differently on the micro level. On the macro level, it's exactly the same. So, we're all flawed. That means 
every relationship we have is going to be flawed because it's reflective of that. And that's okay. You have to work to become okay with your flaws. You have to be okay and accept the fact and embrace the fact that you are imperfect. That's what it means to be human. It's easy for me to sit here and say this, but I struggled my entire life with being a perfectionist. And that was only because on some level, I did not accept the flaws that I had. Accepting the flaws that I had when I was younger did not let me feel good about who I was. It did not let me feel good about myself. It actually was a challenge to my self-confidence and my self-esteem. Now, who knows why that is, but it just was. I do know when I came to the point in my life where I, I realized it's okay, everything changed. Everything. Everything in my life changed. I wrote my first book. I started this podcast. I started a blog. All of my relationships with people started getting better because my relationship with myself got better. See, when you can accept your own flaws and accept that you're flawed and you accept that it's normal to be flawed, you accept that in others. And that removes criticism and judgment. And when you remove criticism and judgment, you're removing dissonant interference. You're removing that repulsive energy. You can be more consonant. You can be more cohesive because it's easier to understand. It's easier to be compassionate. It's easier to be forgiving. It's easier to have empathy because you'll be doing all of these, all of these things within yourself. And now you can share that with others. And when you're in that place where you can accept that about yourself, now you can get to work on your personal development. Because your personal development is all about working on your flaws. Right? And let's face it. No one will ever get to a point in their lives where they don't have flaws or flaws that they could work on. So your personal development practice is a journey with no destination. The journey becomes the destination. That's an important thing to understand because emotional pain and hurt, they're not going anywhere. They're always going to be there. And there's always going to be triggers to the emotional pain and the hurt that you already have. And there are going to be new things that cause emotional pain and hurt. Why? Because we're flawed. Our relationships are flawed. So I'm going to share something very personal. I got divorced about seven years ago. I was married for like six years with the person for 10 years. And it was very difficult for me coming out of it. Excuse me. As amicable as that divorce was, it was still very traumatic for me. And I honestly did not even acknowledge this experience as being traumatic for me 
until like maybe four or five years after I got divorced. I was just in this space where I was like, ah, I'm okay. It's okay. You know, it is what it is. No, I needed to get in touch with that pain, with that sense of loss. I developed things like fear of abandonment. I have developed a little bit of uh, feeling like I may have been inadequate. I, I developed a little, uh, what do you call it, thing where I, I may have felt like I wasn't worthy of love, right? And that all slammed the brakes on the idea or notion of intimacy for me for a very long time. About three or four years following my divorce, I started to date. I started to get out there. I started to work on being comfortable in that space. And I still wasn't, in all honesty. But I was committed to moving in that direction. And it wasn't. It, it would not be until two months ago, um, in twenty October, uh, end of September, twenty twenty one, where I would actually meet someone that I developed feelings for, deep feelings for, those uh, romantic feelings, feelings where you want int- intimacy with that person, and all of those fears rose to the surface of my consciousness that I kind of, I suspected they were there, but I wasn't sure. And I wasn't sure of the intensity of them. So like certain things, like we don't know we have, no one knows what's lurking in their subconscious, but we need to be in it in order to have the things come up, right? In order to trigger them. Because I was espousing all of these things about how I'm never getting married again, blah, 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 blah. And this and that, and didn't want a relationship, a girlfriend, none of that. But when I started dating, I started slowly opening the valve up to the possibilities of that. But I never felt that. I never felt it was possible, even though consciously I wanted it, right? So remember, the prefrontal cortex is wired, you know, one way. But the belief in the limbic system and the approach and avoid is in a different different place. The wiring is different. So what happened was, is I was consciously wanting something, but then when I met this person and I started developing feelings for them, the fears came up that were associated with that from my last experience, from my my failed marriage and my divorce. And it was a very interesting thing because I sat in a place where I knew I had a choice to either approach or avoid and what's important is when I had my divorce I processed my feelings and I felt my feelings the same way I did when my mom passed and that's why it's important for us to feel our feelings regardless of what they are because when we when we feel our feelings, they run through us, they cycle, and then they release. And then we can sit back and process, reflect, and then we can reframe. So these feelings of fear, when they surfaced, when I met this woman, they were powerful, but nowhere near overwhelming 
they, they, they weren't nearly as powerful as they probably would have been had I not dealt with the pain after my divorce. So I was able to like withstand it and move forward with approach mechanisms because I valued intimacy. I valued a long-term commitment. I valued this woman. I valued wanting to get to know her. So even though I had some fears of getting hurt, because I had feelings for her, it didn't stop me from expressing to her how I felt about her. It didn't stop me from being vulnerable. It didn't stop me from approaching. And that's the thing that we all have to work on within ourselves is because emotional pain and hurt are not going anywhere. You can live your entire life trying to avoid emotional pain and getting hurt and it's still going to happen. That is just how we're constructed. That's just how humans are. Humans are going, we're going to hurt each other. We don't do it intentionally. Whenever we hurt each other, it's because we're doing it out of our own fear. Which is being managed subconsciously. So a lot of times we don't even know we're hurting someone else because we're so scared and lost in our own emotional pain, in our own fear of getting hurt. We're just completely reacting and we're not really in touch with what's going on. And that's, a, that's an important thing to, to really internalize and understand. So, you know, when someone hurts you, there's a good chance that there's no intent and they don't realize they're doing it. After the fact, they may and they may not want to own up to it. That's a completely different thing altogether. But in the moment that it happens, when that thing happens, most of the time people are reacting out of their own fear of their own emotional pain and their own fear of getting hurt. This is a liberating thing to be able to internalize because it makes it so that you're not thrown too far off of your own emotional line when you experience adversity in life. It makes you more understanding, compassionate, and forgiving, both of yourself and of people, right? And it helps to form higher quality connections in those transcendent spaces. So the most important thing I hope you, you get out of, out of this episode is that emotional pain and the fear of getting hurt, those are all normal things. And we're always going to carry them and experience them. But we want to make sure that we're operating in a way in our, in our lives where we're congruent. Where we have as much congruency and as much clarity as we can. Because we don't want to be creating patterns and living in patterns where we're approaching situations that would benefit us to avoid. Or we're avoiding situations where... It would benefit us to approach, right? So, like, I could have met this woman and been completely overwhelmed with fear and then gone the other way. Which happens quite often, right? Because whenever we have an experience that was traumatic, that created emotional pain, we have a fear of getting hurt. No one wants emotional pain. No one wants to get hurt. So normally, we just subconsciously avoid that situation altogether once we're triggered. 
And this is all done automatically, and it's what the brain does automatically. But we have the override mechanism, right? We can take the wiring from the prefrontal cortex and consciously and with intentional focus and practice and repetition create signals that drive into the limbic system through the thalamus, through that area where the wires got all mixed and connected from language, and then we can become congruent. That's our power. That's how we prosper. That's why we can adapt and create and do the things that we can that no other animals can. But it only happens when we work to be congruent. Um, so that, that's, that's what we all have to work on within ourselves is to be able to take a few steps back, deal with emotional pain, accept it, deal with the fear of getting hurt. There's always a possibility of getting hurt, but it's okay. You just don't stay in that space, right? I chose not to stay in the space of pain after my divorce. I chose not to stay in the space of pain after I lost my mom. I let myself feel the pain when those things happened so they could cycle through me so that I could exercise emotional mastery and manage them so that when similar situations surface in the future, my brain now says, oh, okay, you've dealt with something similar to this before. It's okay for you to sit, feel the pain, cry, feel shitty, eat ice cream, eat cheesecake, go buy clothes you don't need, and then get over it, and then move on. And then approach when you have fear, because you don't know what's on the other side. We have to be okay with occupying that space of the unknown and be optimistic in that space that we can experience something magnificent or if we suffer more emotional pain or get hurt, we'll be okay. We're designed like that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Paradigm Left Podcast. Again, the new book, The Bitter and the Sweet, Benefits of Balancing Perspective, in life and how to achieve it is available on Amazon. I'll see you next time.